Welcome back for another great Caring Support podcast. I'm here with the lovely Callie from our Caring Support team. And we have a very special guest, uh, the lovely Emily Zufelt. And she has a really cool podcast that's aimed at, you know, police and fire and frontline healthcare workers, et cetera, all to do with a lot of the stuff and trauma-based stuff that they experience. And her podcast is known as What's Your 20. Welcome, Emily. It's nice to have you here. Hi, Callie. Nice to see you both again. Thanks for having me as a guest on the show. It's our pleasure. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind, beyond what I started with? Yeah. So normally, my previous life, I would have answered that by telling you what my job was, what my position was, and who my organization was. Because so many first responders identify with their job and identify with their uniform, and they don't have a life outside of the job. So I wanted to make sure to let everyone know that you are more than your job. You are more than your uniform. You are more than a position and an organization. So as for who I am, I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about understanding what goes on in the brain. And I want to eat up all of this information, all this education. Um, knowledge is power. And the more knowledge you have, the more information you can spread and help others. So that's really what uh, what my purpose is right now, what I'm about. Yeah, 100%. Very good. So our lovely Callie's going to ask the questions. So our first question for today is, can you share with us a bit about your personal journey as a first responder and how it led you to focus on the topic of PTSD? Yeah, so I was very young when I started in a uniform position. And right from day one, I have to tell you that I thought that I was going to come into things to make the world a better place. I thought I was going to change things. Little did I know when you're so young that it's actually the world that changes you. And I think that a lot of first responders, front workers, have no idea what they're about to encounter when they enter a position of first responding. There were definitive moments for me in a police detachment setting that were, at the time, already par sub supports for employees. And I wasn't healthy already right at the beginning, and I couldn't exist in that, nor function that environment. And so I chose to exit the uniform side of things and to switch over to the civilian side of things, where then I became a 911 emergency police dispatcher. And again, I said I became that, but that's what a profession that I took on. Um, As the time passed, I became further unwell with exposure to trauma. And as that happens, the body happens to break down and then the brain becomes injured from the overexposure of trauma. Got to the point where I just couldn't function anymore. And I had to, with no choice of my own, but because of doctors to go off work and to go get myself well. So ever since my diagnosis with PTSD, that's been my focus. Wow, sounds amazing, Emily. And and, you know, Caring support, as you know, is helping health and wellness. And we talk to a lot of frontline uh, on the healthcare side who have been going through tremendous trauma. And of course, the pandemic made it worse for all of us. And certainly anybody, paramedics, police, whatever that were responding to things, it was just everything was escalated. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that will so relate to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 
In your experience, what are some of the common misconceptions or misunderstandings about PTSD among law enforcement and healthcare professionals? I think the number one misconception is what it is. So many people, they see and hear PTSD and they go disorder. Uh, what it is, is that the trauma has actually changed the makeup of the brain. It's an injury. So I like to refer to it as PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. And it would be an injury just like any other if you had broken a leg. Um, police services would let you be off duty with a broken leg until you recovered properly and they would get you the proper resources for that. It's not so much the same for having uh, an injured brain from PTSD because it's not a visible injury. I think another major or a few other major misconceptions, if you look at the language that's used around PTSD, particularly for the people who have it, they refer to themselves as messed up, broken, toxic, weak, too sensitive. That could not be further from the truth. What it is in fact, when we have trauma and when our brain changes, our body is actually working biologically correct to switch off certain functions because it goes into survival mode for us. So we're not weak, we're not too sensitive, we're not toxic, we're actually operating as a properly functioned body and brain. Some of the other things that I would say is that um, people feel as though PTSD is right in someone's head. They're making it up and that they should be able to just like a switch, turn it off and get better. Put on a smile, go for a run, you'll get better. It's just not the way it works. It takes time, it takes work, it takes sometimes years to understand what's going on and to put in the work to become well from PTSD. The other thing that is a massive misconception is that once you have it, once you're labeled with it, people feel as though it's a life sentence. And that just isn't the case either. I'm, I'm proof. Uh, PTSD is not a life sentence. You can heal. You can recover. Uh, not only can you live with it, you can thrive after it. I wholeheartedly believe that. Well, that well said, uh, Emily. You know, it's interesting. I think just about everybody knows somebody or they themselves have gone through some form of mental health challenge. And, you know, you, you think about the fact that so much of this is vulnerability, isn't it? Where people are just, oh, uh, you know, whatever. And we, you know, you look at healthcare too, from our perspective, we talk to a lot of places, hospitals included, you know, they're very good at looking after the broken leg at the, the actual physical damage, even if it's mm -hmm. internal, like a kidney problem or something. They're they're great at looking after all these things and then beautiful people in, in, in all these different uh, industries. But I think as society, we're still struggling to understand emotional um, issues and how we deal with that. And, you know, this this whole adage when people I've actually been in the company of people who say, oh, well, can't you just get over it? And you're like, <laughs> you think, you know, that's not what you say. Like no one has ever gotten over it by mm -hmm. anyone ever saying get over it so you know it's really a shame and I, I think just for a lot of people we need to really look at this differently uh it's it was a buzzword for quite a while mental health and i think you know um a lot of people had someone on the staff maybe or people would come in but this is action-based it's not 
you know, wear ribbon, virtue signaling. It's like you have to actually implement solutions that helps people uh, feel like I'm in an environment where it's okay to talk about this, right? Um, mm -hmm. And to feel that I'm going to get the support that I need. Well, absolutely. So many people, once you have this, it's almost as though people feel, feel it's contagious. But yeah. walking into uh, a workplace, an individual who's been out of the workplace with PTSD for so long, once they walk back in, people don't talk to them. They avoid them. It's almost as though they have leprosy. It's yeah. horrendous, the treatment to people who have PTSD, particularly those who are trying to return to the workplace. And how are they supposed to feel safe, feel welcome? If their own environment, their own workplace, their own coworkers, their own supervisors, command staff doesn't welcome them back with that. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of checked boxes uh, to state that we've done what we should be doing, but the actions just aren't there to back up the words. Yeah, agreed. So today you're a guest on our podcast but you actually have your own called What's Your 20? And so we'd like to ask you just a couple of questions about what that's like. So as the host of What's Your 20, what motivated you to create this platform um, dedicated to discussing PTSD and its impact on law enforcement and dispatchers? Well, quite honestly, my own diagnosis. Um, I have to be honest and tell you that before I was diagnosed with PTSD, I was one of those individuals who would stigmatize others. I'm not proud of it, but once you know better, you do better. So we don't understand it, especially if you don't have it. So for me to go get this diagnosis, I needed to know what was going on. What's going on with my brain? How do I get well? How do I get out of this? Because we have no idea. Part of the issue with my own PTSD is that it's such a black hole it's a continuous downward spiral and you don't have a way out. You don't know how to get out. And unfortunately, a lot of my time and a lot of other first responders time with PTSD, we head over to suicidal ideation and then actually some members take their lives as well. There is a great propensity for first responders, military members, uh, and anybody suffering from severe PTSD and CPTSD, complex PTSD. Um, that take their lives. So once this had happened, I uh, I had to make a choice. The choice was to lay down and die or to get up and fight. I chose the latter. But what allowed me to do that was seeing somebody else stand up publicly stating that they too had PTSD, their story, their words, identical to what I was going through. And I felt normal and I had hope for the first time. What this individual did made an environment for me, and it was just online that I saw it happen, but it opened the door to say, hey, maybe there's a chance because that person isn't laying in bed. That person isn't sick. This person right now is up and speaking about it. Maybe that's what I need to do too. So that's the birth of the podcast was seeing somebody else tell the truth about what was going on with them. If you can imagine if that person's feeling it, and then I'm sitting there and I'm feeling it. We need to hear and see stories of people just like us. 
And the things about that are just like us are the ones that are coming out of it, the ones that are healing and the ones that are recovering. We need to hear and see those stories because we need to know it's possible. That's where hope is. I have to tell you, the number one weapon against suicidal I, suicide is actually hope. Yeah, you know, Emily, I think it's really great because, you know, there I have uh, worked with and tried to help a lot of people who are experiencing various types of trauma, including PTSD, et cetera. And I'm no expert in it. I'd say that the first thing, but I'm a very empathic person. Um, and, you know, I just I, I've, I've been around those times where people say, oh, that person's got oh, get in line. Everybody's got problems. And I'm like, you know, we can't sit in a place of judgment for everyone. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know, you know, how bad it might be. And we might think it's nothing, but we also don't necessarily have the full scope of what's transpired. Um, and, and you know, we've all been in that situation. And isn't it nice when people show more support than they just go, oh, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? That doesn't help anybody whatsoever. No, and then you have people who compare traumas. One will up the other. Someone will say, I've had it, they've had it worse than you, and they're not, they're not diagnosed with it. And there's another component about not understanding. Say you have five first responders who attend the same call, but one out of the five only comes out with PTSD. Why is that? And then the four are going, we're fine. There are so many layers to what trauma does to the body and what has happened to a person prior to even entering first responding that nobody knows about, like you were saying. So I made it a choice. I like to say to recover out loud. And I think the more loudly people recover, the more that we're going to help people dying and killing themselves silently. Yeah, I like that. Recover out loud. That's that's an interesting concept. Very good. So bringing up the conversation of PTSD is sometimes not the easiest thing to do. How do you approach the topic of PTSD on your on podcast and what kind of stories or experiences do you typically share with your listeners to make them feel a little more comfortable with sharing their experiences? I There's only one way to come at this and it's head on and it's open and it's honest. And what you were talking about, James, authenticity, um, vulnerability, you got to be raw. You know what? A lot of uh, first responders, these people, you can't pull one over on them. And they're not going to respond to flowery things. No, no, you need to come at them real and they need to be able to be real. So I talk about the symptomology. I talk about suicide. I talk about the lack of supports from the organizations and the lack of responsibility, acknowledgement and accountability from the organizations. And these are all the things that people are feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. We have the trauma from on the job. But we have a secondary trauma as well from the organizations themselves by not supporting us. We all signed up to be a part of a family. And when the top members of the family are the ones that are turning your back, that is a whole other type of trauma that damages you in a way that you just can't explain until you actually have it happen. So I discuss those because it needs to be heard. It needs to be said. Uh, there are so many first responders who feel as though they don't have a voice. Or they feel that if they have something to say and they say it, that there'll be retribution, so they don't. I've taken it upon myself to be that voice. I've, what more can happen to me? What more can happen? I've been down in the ditch. I've had a plan to take my life. 
there's nothing that nobody can do to me right now that I can't overcome. So I'm just going to say it. I think the other thing too, but the stories that I like to tell are the ones for the people who were down there, who came back and are sharing that story. And then there's greater ones that also do something with their adversity and they turn it into advocacy. That's, those are the people that I, I really put a spotlight on. But again, like I said, it's the stories that we need to see and hear our own selves in. Storytelling is, uh, has always been around, always been around. And that's how lessons were taught. That's how children were taught. So this is how we'll, we'll teach each other. We'll learn and teach each other to recover together by stories. You know what I think is so powerful about all of this? Uh, it's, it, and in my world, this is just called common sense. And, it, you know, it, the greatest gift we've ever had as humanity is our ability to share a story. Yeah. And, you know, the question is, is are we willing to share our story? Because I keep telling people all the time that your story is actually in any light. It's powerful. It could be the story that you share in a job interview where it makes people just sit there and go. Right. When you think about that proverbial sitting around the, the fire, when people would tell a story, a scary story or whatever fun, and you got everybody there just staring like on the edge of their seats. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if you could do that with your life? Maybe it's moments you're going to be vulnerable, but you're willing to open your heart and share with people, people you trust, that you go, yeah, I need to talk about these things. And I don't want to be in a place of judgment. I don't want to feel that uh, people are going to look down on me and ridicule me or talk about me by my back. But you're right about being on the bottom. I call it in the bottom of the barrel. There comes a point where you don't go any lower. And suddenly, I think what's great when you start to survive is you realize that you're no longer interested in people pleasing. You're no longer interested in making everyone happy, the same thing, because I jokingly say that's the job of a bottle of wine. People laugh and I say it's true. And when people come to realization, all of a sudden, like you said, Emily, they realize that anything that happens with this person or what they say, you've been through worse. You got this. And now it's time for you to, to rise. And I think we sometimes... All of us have to go through those moments in our life where we start to really reevaluate and reflect. And and it might mean it. it is trauma, which is really unfortunate. But I think it's incumbent upon the rest of us to show support to those because we've all been there. Well, trauma is the missing link. It's the answer to everything. It doesn't discriminate. Yeah. There's no borders. It, you do not have to wear a uniform to suffer from or struggle with trauma in any way. It's the link that com that uh, connects all of us. And in, in fact, it's connection then and human connection is what heals us. It's that moment of me too, right? You tell your story and when someone else sitting across that fire can go, me too, all of a sudden you've made a connection and you're not alone and you're normal. And you know what? You've probably inspired that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you'll be un yeah, you'll be unforgettable. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Callie. In the spirit of storytelling, maybe you could tell us about one of the most memorable guests that you've had on your podcast and why their interview sticks with you. Oh, Callie, that is such an unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> like you're putting me in the firing line, aren't you? Um, <laughs> We apologize. Okay, so, 
I'm not good. I can't just do one. There's, they're all amazing people. They're all amazing. Um, each one of them brought something different, unique, special to the show. Uh, uh, just to mention a couple, I had Canadian Senator Patrick Brazeau come on the show. What was so amazing about him is that not only was he struggling with trauma, PTSD, and addiction, but he did it publicly and in real time. So he had this glorious public downfall wow. where all of us would be hiding and because we feel shame around that, right? We feel guilt. We feel all those horrible things. We'd be hiding in our bedrooms, but not him. He had to take it on the chin uh, twice because Trudeau got him, but he had to take it on the chin and do it publicly. This man came back and not only did he come back and get sober, he became well. And then now he uses his platform still as a senator, an independent one now, but as a senator to go ahead and discuss suicide for young people. So that's amazing. Uh, I look at um, Cheryl Hunt. She's my first female on the podcast Firefighter. I mean, she here she is breaking so many glass ceilings as a woman in a male-dominated profession. And yet the harassment that that woman underwent, uh, it blows my mind in this day and age that another human could be treated this way. But if I had to narrow it down to one, uh, I would have to say my heart will probably always belong to the very first guest I have uh, had, sorry. And that is um, veteran and uh, London Police Sergeant Andrew Goff. And he came on with his service dog, Riggs. And the reason why Andrew and Riggs will always have a space in my heart is he gave me a chance. And we all had to start somewhere. I was a nobody. I didn't know how to podcast, certainly didn't do interviewing with anybody. I drove to London, which was an eight-hour drive. Now, I saw Andrew on a video that uh, his police association had put out. It was beautiful what he had said, uh, and I felt, this is the person I need to, to kick things off. I called him up in the spring, and then nothing was ready. There was no website ready. I Again, I didn't have equipment, but I just knew I needed him on the show. So I called him up. He agreed. And then it wasn't until the fall in November that I actually went and said, hey, Andrew, I'm ready to go. And he goes, let's do this. So the fact that Andrew gave me a shot, because we, like I said, we all have to start somewhere. He gave me that. And of course, Riggs, I mean, he's a walking billboard for health, for education, for service dogs. And, and then a couple other ones. I can't, I can't not. I'm going to have to keep going. You look at Chad, um, Chad from C2C for, for PTSD, Chad Kennedy. You look at John Archambault from Wired Differently. You have uh, Corey Hatt from Mad Hatter Industries. These individuals, excuse me, these individuals, if it wasn't for PTSD, I would have never have met them. I would have never learned from them. And I wouldn't get the privilege to call them my friends. So, and I can honestly say these, these people are my friends right now. So yeah, they're all fantastic, but Andrew, Andrew takes the, takes the cake. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. You made so many great points there. I, uh, and you probably know that we're in London and um, yeah. So I think I even know this, uh, this policeman you're talking about. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, I think I saw him speak at an event in London, a uh, charity event. Uh, it was like a breakfast thing. There was like, I think a thousand people in the room. And I came up to him afterwards and said, dude, that was awesome. I said, like, you really inspired me. And uh, I just want to say how how honored I am to have heard that story uh, and privileged. 
So um, great, great people out there. And that you're right. Sometimes we have to go through our own hard times. We find somebody whose story resonates and we we connect with them. And then before long, you go, oh, my God, I would have never met these amazing people unless I had to go through this myself. And right. uh, and that's it's the positive to focus on. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So we're going to flip back over and talk about PTSD again and your experience with it. What are some of the coping mechanisms or strategies that you have found effective in managing PTSD symptoms, both personally and through your interactions with other officers and first responders? Well, first and foremost, Callie, it's got to be self-regulation. That is the number one hands down. If you are not able to self-regulate, regulate your emotions, be able to regulate how you react to something, you know, to learn that there's actually a difference between responding and reacting. I came from a place of reaction only, and now I get to take a moment, self-regulate, and then I can respond now. That's actually a skill. They didn't, I wasn't taught that skill until PTSD came along, and then I had an occupational therapist. So that was, that's number one, the self-regulation. Uh, one of the other things that I do is there's grounding techniques. And this can seem a little odd for people, but we, and I say we as people with PTSD, we are so much up in our heads with either anxiety or depression. So you're in the past, you're in the future, you're struggling with all these other different tenses, but you're never in the present moment. And because you're so up in your head, you're not in your body. So in order to get back to the present moment and to get back into your body, you do grounding techniques. So one of my favorites is actually walking through the grass in my bare feet or with I'm gardening. I'm in the dirt in my bare feet. Take some scrubbing after. But let me tell you, you are connected to earth and you're connected to nature and it does ground you. Uh, there's great breathing techniques as well. Um, I'm not a big breathing technique person, but I will tell you another guest that I had on the podcast, Jacob Mark, he's an, a firefighter, but he does the Wim Hof breathing technique and um, cold, uh, cold, is it called cold therapy, um, extreme cold therapy, where you get into the ice baths yeah. and he does the courses. And of course, I did anything and everything to get well. So I went into ice baths to go ahead and to, yeah, cold water submersion, ice water submersion. I did that as well. So I enjoy that. Now uh, I take cold showers in the morning. Um, you could, I could have ever imagined doing that in the past because I like to burn the, the skin off my body with how hot I like it. But now I'm a cold water girl. Um, yeah, those are really healthy techniques. Uh, the, the next one I think is one of the biggest ones would be exercise. Exercise is invaluable. We get a chemical cascade from whenever you exercise, these chemicals are made that go ahead and send things up to the brain, the messages to the brain, and you end up with these neurotransmitters and you get, um, you end up with dopamine, you end up with more neuroplasticity. So basically your ability to change things in your brain, exercise does everything. The ability to go for a run and to breathe, you're focusing on your breathing, you're focusing on the rhythm, the ability to go work at the gym, you're focusing on a muscle group that's putting you right back into your body. And it's one of the healthiest things you could do for yourself. So I would definitely say self-regulation, exercise and grounding techniques. Excellent. Love that. That's really great. You know, it's interesting when, when you're talking about this, whether it's veterans and paramedics and 
uh, you know, firefighters and police, et cetera. And we know this helps with healthcare too, but it, it's unbelievable the commonality that exists. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what you said earlier about responding or reacting, it reminds me of the, the famous Charles Swindle quote that said that he fir- firmly believed that 10% of what happens to a giving person is beyond their control. And the other 90 is how you respond to it. And, and it is so true because I tell people, well, if, you, if to really paint the picture, if you want to do it very broad, then I would say you got way over here that's more towards the victim mindset where I'm a product of the environment, where I can't change anything and everything sucks and I don't like anything and, you know, and everybody's against me. Like that's a worst case scenario. And then you have over here is, hey, no, what? You know what? I believe in myself. I can do this. I'm awesome. I'm going to get the help. I'm going to find the friendships. I'm going to find the the connections. I'm going to find the support and people who will relate and understand and be supportive. Um, And then, you know, I always say to people, by the lessons you've learned and applied to make yourself stronger, more resilient, a better person, how can you use them to help other people? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's absolutely it's about putting in the work and you hear that phrase put in the work, but it's really about taking action and it's about taking intentional action. And right. what were you saying? There's some people who have that victim mindset. Well, there's a whole other thing called radical responsibility. And that's taking responsibility and advocating for your own health. Because if you're not getting it from the from the organizations or resources that may or may not be there, you've got to do it for yourself. You are ultimately in control and you are ultimately responsible for your own well-being. So take radical responsibility with intentional action. And that's how this works. Awesome. Love it. How can departments better support police officers and dispatchers who may be struggling with PTSD? What changes do you think needs to be made within law enforcement culture to foster a more understanding and supportive environment? Well, first and foremost is education, Kelly. And I don't just mean these mental awareness regular talks. I mean psychoeducation to become trauma-informed. That changes the game. If you understand what trauma is, if you understand why it's affecting your brain, how it's affecting your brain, then you can actually see that you can do something about it and find the solutions that work for you. So it has to be psychoeducation and it has to be on a level that people will respect and understand where it's coming from. And what I mean by that is that there's not a lot of command staff that know where the people have been with PTSD. We can't keep asking people who haven't been to certain locations to lead us back there. You need to have the people who've been there to be the ones to lead others out to show them the way. That's one thing that yeah. needs to happen. The One of the other things that I would say that detachments need to do uh, or organizations is purpose. Whenever you have an individual who's been off on, on leave to get well, And this individual wants to come back to work and wants to work for the organization. You cannot stick that individual in a closet. You cannot put them in the basement. There's no purpose there. An individual coming back who struggles with PTSD, they don't need a reason to stay in bed. They have that reason every day to stay in bed. They need a reason to get out of bed. So what they need is purpose. A good leader is going to see the strengths in their employees. So if an individual is coming back with experience, with mental health, with resiliency and being capacity based, 
use that strength, harness it, and give that individual a position that will give them purpose so that they can actually thrive in the position. Instead of putting them in the basement, they don't have purpose, they go back off work again, or they take their lives because they feel worthless that their organization didn't help with, help with that. Uh, this is really good. I, I, you know, I think a lot of times this is what happens. People see people as broken and whatever, and they don't know how to, um, you know, respond and react to 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 helping the person and thinking that the usual stuff that we would say is going to be sufficient. I think a lot of people are just used to the tangibility of fixing something like a broken leg and then but mm, emotional, like everybody's afraid to go there because they don't want to be vulnerable either. And mm -hmm. So I'm I'm really hoping, Emily, that over time, because we're talking about this so much more, that we're uh, bringing out different programs and stuff, that, that people will sooner or later realize that it's totally acceptable to talk about it and to, to get support. And then realize that wherever you're working, whatever, is going to, to say, oh, we've all been through this. We need to get that person in a position where they can still be the amazing superstar that we know they are, right? Yeah. And so. you just you said something, the amazing superstar. When these people went off, they were amazing in their jobs. They were amazing as people and did great work. When they're coming back, they are just as amazing and just as capable. In fact, they're coming back with more resiliency and more capacity than when they went off. To walk back into a place to do that job after you've been off with PTSD takes more than anybody can ever imagine. That person needs to become looked up to, applauded. I, I can't say that enough. I think the last piece of that, Callie, uh, about the changes is there is a huge piece of the puzzle that's missing right now. And I, I had alluded to it earlier, was the lack of acknowledgement, responsibility and accountability by the organizations to own up to their part in the trauma, illness, sickness of their employees and propagating the toxic police culture to this day. So whenever the organizations and command staff actually do those things, I think you're going to see a better response from the employees. Yeah. Are you seeing any of this is uh, happening in your world, Emily? No, I see it as denial. And I'll yeah. tell you something else, James. Um, you know, June is PTSD month. And then we have a specific day in June that is PTSD day. We will see on social media, first responding organizations speak about or post uh, first responder day, uh, firefighter day, um, any of those things. But you will not see a first responding organization put out PTSD awareness. You don't. It didn't happen last year. And I sat and I looked. I waited for it. it they didn't do it. So, no, they can't even post it up. They will not take the responsibility. And until they do, this culture will not change. And this problem within the detachment will not, won't be fixed. Yeah, I can tell you from our firsthand experience. And, um, you know, we did a recording for Nurses Week recently. And and this is something that was brought up in the, the thing. Maybe I brought it up, not sure. But when we're talking to so many of these organizations, I say to them, listen, there's so many beautiful people working there. But it takes somebody who's willing to step forward and say, we're going to own this or we're going to, you know, whatever. And until then, everyone's waiting for someone else to do it. And um, and they might want that because there's a lot of great people, but everyone's afraid to raise the hand. 
Um, so, you know, when I look at healthcare and I look at, at websites, I look at their content, I'm going to I'm going to encapsulate it by saying it's business as usual. And that's not meant be, to be disrespectful. But over here, we hear about burnout of nurses. We hear about all these things. It's all over the media. It's constant. And so what I said one time to a hospital, because we know them so well and working with them, I said, when's someone going to own this? Mm. You know, like openly own this. And and, you know, because if there's any industry in this country that's supposed to be number one for the health and wellness of people, it's healthcare. This should be number one in leading, by example, in this area. Yeah. Right. Um, and I know this probably sounds foreign to some people because I think we're so been used to the tangibility of of fixing something that's visibly there. And as soon as it's invisible, now all of a sudden all these these different judgmental things come up or people think some people are faking it or, you know, whatever it is, like just honor and give space to this, because guess what? I'm going to guess that you've been through it, too. And, you know, putting the cold shoulder or ignoring them, ghosting them, whatever that that some people are doing is no solution. And then, as you said, this problem will keep on perpetuating. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and there's a similarity so much so between healthcare, nursing and first responding and policing is recruitment and retention. Do you remember in the days when being a nurse and or being a police officer yeah. was prideful, was meaningful, but now you can't get anybody to do the jobs. You can't get enough nurses. You can't get enough healthcare staff. You can't get enough officers. And the reason being is that they're not taking care of the current people they have. And therefore, who's going to come work for you now? If they took care of their current people, you would not have a problem with recruitment. You certainly wouldn't have a problem with retention. And that's the same in both industries. Yeah. 100%, 100%. And, and you know, I, we all know that there's beautiful people working in these industries, tremendously beautiful people who are well-intentioned and really want to make a difference. And I think it's really, this is down to leadership. And leadership sooner or later has to step up and show this. And they have to lead by example. Or otherwise, how do they expect anyone else to do it, right? Mm -hmm. It has to start from the top down. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the key takeaways or messages that you hope listeners gain from your podcast episodes and this one on PTSD? And what's your ultimate goal in terms of the impact that you are hoping to make within the area that you're working in now? I think some of the main, the key takeaways, um, we're not alone. None of us are. We really aren't. That's that human connection. The other thing is that we're stronger together and strength in numbers. There are more of us with mental health issues and struggling than there are without. And that's a sad reality, but it's true. So if we bring those strength in numbers, if we all use our voice, we actually have the majority. Let's keep saying something about it. Let's make the change. And if you can't get people to change, you become it. If you can't have the leaders to do the things that we need them to do, become the leader. So that's number one. Um, one of the biggest impacts I want to have is to end first responder, military, veteran suicide. There's no reason. There's absolutely no reason. This is solvable. This is healing. Nobody needs to go that way. 
but because they're afraid or they can't speak or the resources aren't there, people are taking their lives. That needs to end. And that's the biggest impact. And if one person, one, sees my social media page, one person hears a podcast, one person hears this little talk, and they choose not to take their life that day, then I'm happy. Just one. Yeah. But if we've got one, go. let's go for more. Let's go yeah. for more. Absolutely. The other thing, too, is that I always uh, believe that it's so important to help other people understand what do you look for when people might be struggling? What are the traits to pick up on? Like I, one of the things I notice is if I've had the odd friend that would just be around all the time, everything's great. It's got that cheerful face happening. Of course, you wonder how real that is or not. You're not there to judge. Everybody's having a good time. But then they disappear for lengthy periods of time and they come back. No reason, nothing. I mean, I get they don't have to explain themselves to people. But I, I pulled them aside one time and said, hey, are, are we not like brothers? I said, yeah, it'll be okay if I ask you a couple of questions. You won't get upset. And I said, yeah, do you suffer from depression? And he's like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, hey, I just want you to know I love you. And I want you to know that it's going to be okay. But I'm here to listen anytime you want to talk, okay? Without judgment, without, you know, any of that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, my, my the one that I, I think is had so much impact was Robin Williams. And Robin Williams made everybody feel great. And you'd think, oh, he's got all kinds of money. He's famous, everything. What could be wrong? Well, no, I bet you any money if you were around him, you would have seen the signs, but you refused to look at them or were unaware or how you were going to help or whatever. And I think it's a, the problem is, is people just want to be, oh, you know, uh, you know, it, and this is why it drives me nuts. This is the same with diversity, inclusion, authenticity, all these different things. People want to wear a ribbon. They want to do all the virtual signaling, but they, when it comes to actually the action involved, that's a whole other ball game. And it is. Yeah. And that's really a shame. It's it's time for that 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 stuff to end because that's all complete pseudo fake garbage. I'm sorry, just well, being straight up. Right. So many people, James, who won't even ask anybody, how are you today? And the reason why they won't even ask is because they might actually get an answer that they have to sit in and listen to. Yeah. And God forbid somebody says, I'm not well. Now what? Yeah. Now what? I don't know how to deal with that. This makes me uncomfortable. So like, people just stop asking. They just stop asking. And a lot of that is because our priorities are so screwed up anymore. And the reason I say that is because I remember being on a call after the first lockdown of the, of the pandemics, like four months long or whatever, and everybody was on this Zoom call. And they were all like majority of them were all pissed off and this and that. And then they had that misery breeds company kind of thing. You know, everybody's feeling the wonderful thing going on there. And I was the guy who was not thinking this way. And I, and I said, well, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want this. And every time you say, listen, if you're not happy with your job, you're not happy with the current situation, you're not happy with this, what are you doing to change it? And people are like, well, I don't have time. I don't have, you know, whatever. And that's the number one thing you hear, which is actually an excuse because the whole problem is fear. And it's the same with fear of being vulnerable, fear of doing something, fear of being seen in that regard or getting it wrong. And I think that's that's the problem. It's always fear. And then when something bad happens to a person, they no longer feel fear. They feel regret that they didn't tell them, that they didn't say anything, that it whatever. So I always tell people, just remember, fear is temporary. Regret is forever. And mm. people are like, oh, my God. Yeah. And I said, please tell people how amazing they are. 
and mean it. Tell people what they mean to you. Look out for other people. Be genuinely interested. People, I don't, you know, I'm just so busy. I don't have time. Well, I don't know. Two sentences ago, you told me you had you had plenty of time to Netflix, uh, uh, you know, binge watch Netflix for 24 hours. You had the time. It's, you know, it's what is important. Hence the priorities, right? Anyway. I agree. James, you mentioned fear and something popped into my head that I just wanted to share. But I am a Christian and I go to church and I actually sing a lot as well. And there's a song called Fear is a Liar. And it's, it just resonates with this moment because it's true. Fear is a liar. Fear is what is telling you not to say something. Fear is what's telling you that you're not good enough to say anything, that nobody wants to help you, that nobody loves you. Fear is a liar. And if you get a chance, go listen to that song. I know most people are like, oh, goodness, church songs. But this one is very, very powerful. And it is. Fear is a liar. And you have to learn how to stop that liar in its tracks. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could it's send it to us, you know. Sorry, Emily. Yeah. Well, Callie, I was going to say your song and your story reminds me of a quote that I put up on my page and what it was, because um, I do daily quotes as well when I can't get to my podcasts uh, guests as fast as I'd like to. But the quote said, fear knocked on the door. When I answered, no one was there. Answer yeah. the door. Yeah. Take it head on. It won't be there. Well, we've changed this, people. It's funny how we wanted everything on this thing we call a phone, and yet no one answers the phone now. When we were mm-hmm. kids, we all raced to the phone. Who was going to get to that landline first when it was all the kids? And we used to race to the door to answer it. Now nobody wants to answer the door. You notice all houses are built with everybody's in the backyard now, not up front, because we don't want to talk to our neighbors. We don't want to, like, this is how society has changed, and not for the better. No. Right? And, you know, I don't really worry what people think. So I talk to people in an elevator, partly because it's fun. And, um, you know, it's just nice to throw the monkey wrench into the program once in a while. (laughs) Anyway. So we are coming to the end of today's episode, which I can't believe how much time has actually passed by. So is there anything else that you would like to tell us about or talk to us about today? Oh, Callie, I'm a podcast host. Of course, there's always something more I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I get that. I totally understand that. Um, yeah, there's a couple things. So number one is say yes. Say yes to things. And if there is an opportunity, if there is a resource, if there is some sort of help, take it. I was against all of it. Um, it's not bad. It's going to help you get above. It's going to help you heal. Even if you don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you're embarrassed, even if you don't like it, even if you're angry, do it. And let me tell you, it was in doing and saying yes that are the little steps that got me above each time. Uh, You know, there's WSIB, Workers Safety Insurance Board for people. You know, not only that's the other four letter acronym that people panic about. Right. That I'm embarrassed about that. You know what? They are there to help you. It doesn't have to be a horror story. If you lean in and tell the truth to them, too, they work for you, with you to help you get above. OTs, occupational therapists, they're like, I don't need that. I don't want an occupational therapist. Immediately when someone's not feeling well, they hear occupational therapists. They think they're going to be forced back to work when they're suicidal and know that they can't. That's not what it's about. It's about functionality. It's about helping you figure out how to get your laundry done and brush your teeth again. Say yes. If your friend wants to bring over some frozen meals, 
take the kids for a couple hours, wa- wash your laundry, say yes. Just start yeah. saying yes. The other thing that I want to say is um, the thing that I talked about earlier was the put in the work, James. Put in the work. Go ahead, get therapy. And you don't have to do it all at once. You don't yeah. have to do it all at once. It's small, consistent steps over time. Small, consistent steps over time and put in the work. The only person who's going to benefit is you. And if you don't put in the work, the people who are who is not going to reap the benefits is you. Put in the work. And then the last one I would say is it takes time. It takes so much time. And don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't go, why are they already back at work and I'm still over here? No, it's going to take time. Have grace. Look at the top of that mountain and realize, am I going to do that in a day? No, but if I take one step today, one step tomorrow, and do those little increments, one day I'm at the top of that mountain, I'm looking back and seeing all those steps. It takes time. Just give yourself the time. Yeah, just make forward momentum, even if it's a tiny step at a time. Yep. Right? Excellent. There's a way out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah. So is this it? This is we're all done. Oh my God, Emily, this was really great. Uh, I think yeah. a lot. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is is some of the most beautiful things that we should be doing with each other, um, and how we help other people and understand their pain and their trauma and their, you know, what they're experiencing and not you know in a way to judge or or to think that we understand it's just really to to give the respect and the space and allow people to to go through this and then be there to say hey whenever you're ready or whatever it might be i'm here to listen i'm here to care and to make a difference and i mean that's what we should be doing you know it is. so yeah absolutely and it, I don't want to be the person to come in and do it for you. That's the other thing, too. I don't, I'm not here to come in and do it for you to help you to basically take your hand and pull you out. I want to be here to show you and teach you so that you can pull yourself out. Yeah. And that's the important thing, right? We've all got to do it for ourselves and empower the people. And once you empower somebody to regulate, to get help, all those things, then they become more resilient. That's how resiliency is built, teaching them and letting them do it themselves. Yeah. No, love it, Emily. This has been really great. We want to thank Thank you you. so much. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast. I think a lot of people are are going to, this is going to resonate with people. And, you know, if anything, it's going to help people to say, yeah, do I, you know, am I making the capacity and giving the space to people? Uh, and and am I going to that next step instead of just wearing the ribbon or, or saying, oh, I participate in mental health day or PTSD day or whatever it is, what can you actually do to make a difference in someone else's life? Um, mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Emily. Appreciate and it. And thank you for having me. I can't, I can't thank you enough. It's been fun. Yeah. You take care. And until we see you again, I wish okay. you all the best. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.